If you would, open your Bible to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. We, the last time, if you remember, we talked about Jesus pronouncing a judgment on Israel and that they would be blinded. Paul told us later that in Romans that they would be blinded in part. That we kind of assume is why some Jewish people do get saved, but as a whole, very, very difficult evangelism. But because of this, I just want to review enough to freshen your mind what we were talking about because this is going to be the conclusion of that. We're going to call this the the history of Israel. What we did last time was to show how when Jesus came, the Messiah who had been promised and these minute details had been given to identify Him when they couldn't identify Him, and not only that, they went so far to call him what? They called him the devil. They said he's doing this demonic exorcism because he is the prince of devils. He's Beelzebub. And Jesus, said, at that point, he said, I won't even talk to them plainly. I'll talk to them only in parables. That's why your Bible changes, really, Matthew chapter 12, 13. And then we saw where Jesus goes into Jerusalem last time and he weeps because he, he, tell, he says... The day is coming. They're going to surround this place. They're going to kill everybody in it. And they're going to destroy Jerusalem, burn the temple, and destroy every part of it. We went through that just to show you, to get an idea of what the last 2,000 years has been about, why it's been the way it has been. Why has there been no Israel on planet Earth for the last 2,000 years until when, say, Isla was young? I don't mean that... I mean, there are some, in our lifetimes, these things have changed. That, uh, say somebody that grew up in the 1920s, 30s, and they read in their Bible about Israel, there wasn't even a, that didn't even exist on the earth. And they would have had a tough time maybe comprehending why God would spend so much time still talking about Israel in His Bible. We, you kind of get the impression that, well, once Jesus came, paid the penalty for sin, Israel did their job. They got the Messiah into the earth. And that God would be done with Israel forever. Well, there was a terrible judgment pronounced on them. And it's the reason that they spent the last 2,000 years in the way that they have. But the Bible didn't end with that. And in Matthew 21, this the, the parable of the wicked husbandman. It's also the parable of the vineyard. It is the story. Uh, let's read through it quickly. Matthew 21, verse 33. Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. If I were to ask you, what were the job of those husbandmen? They were to be the nobleman's representatives. They were taking care of his property. And in a way, this, of course, we it, we went last time and looked how Isaiah chapter 5 is where this parable comes from. And in Isaiah chapter 5, and it's verse 7, it says that the vineyard is Israel. This parable, talking about a vineyard, Jesus is clearly pointing out it's Israel. And they didn't, the husbandmen, they did not represent to the world the God that they were serving. They did not represent the, His character, the things that He wanted and there are verses in the Bible that said that they profaned his name in a way. So what Jesus says here in a little bit, in verse 35, the husbandman took his servants, they beat one, 
They killed another, they stoned another. And again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. Remember what Isaiah tells us. The vineyard is Israel. So this, Jesus is describing what Israel did to the prophets that he raised up, the messengers that he sent to tell them, to plead with them. Some of them they stoned. Some of them they persecuted. It wasn't good. And you get down here in verse 40, Jesus asks, When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? And those Jewish people answered him, He is going to destroy those wicked servants. They answered the the question about themselves. They probably at that point didn't know. Jesus was letting them in on, You're being judged here, and it is going to be destroyed. This is why we, we, we credit the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. to the Romans. I think you have to look at it a little bit anyway, as this was... God's judgment on Israel. Whether you want to say he just pulled his hand back, allowed it to happen, caused it, whatever. Because of the way they treated his prophets. And then finally, as this parable says, when he finally sent his son to them, him they stoned, or they were going to stone, they crucified him. They called him the devil. There was this judgment and they were cut off from being a nation. And for 2,000 years, the earth has lived Without Israel, the one nation that God talks about in His Bible over and over, they've been gone off the scene. And so what we're going to do tonight is put a conclusion on this. Why, after all this time, starting in 1948, is Israel back over there? Why do we have a nation on the map where we teach our kids about geography and we call one of those places Israel? Turn to Matthew 23. Before we get too far into that, let's let Jesus tell us one more time about why we're in this situation. Matthew 23, look at verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. He is just echoing what we read in the parable of the vineyard or the wicked husbandman. How often would I have gathered thy children together? Now, there's something in the language of that. He says, how often would I have done it? What does that mean? That implies to me the phrase, how often, that there has been a span of time going on throughout history where God did what? He sent His messengers, prophets. He sent scribes to them. Messengers to try to communicate to them what He wanted. And they took those people. They killed most of them. They persecuted them. And all during that time, you see the desire of God. He wanted, his desire was to hold them, to bring them in as a hen gathers her chicks. How often would I? And that, that, that is painting the picture. This has been going on, not just when Jesus got here. It had been going on for centuries and millennia. Where Israel did what? Well, look at verse 30, uh, the end of verse 37. He says, and you would not. Now that's King James' language for want. The word would, he said, you would not, that means you didn't want it, you didn't want me. When God would send messengers to them to talk about what he wanted, how he wanted to love, take care of, preserve them, when Jesus says, but you would not, what that means is you didn't want me. Think of that. We could just brush by that, but maybe we should stop for 30 seconds. They didn't want the God of the universe. 
God that had taken them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, then all these miracles, they didn't want Him. And because of that, what's verse 38 say? Your house is left unto you desolate. The reason that 70 A.D. happens with the Romans, this desolation, where, as Jesus said, not one stone is going to be left upon another, is because for all those centuries, they not just pushed God off. Anybody He sent to them, persecuted, they put them in dungeons. Sometimes they sawed them asunder. And finally, when He sent His Son to them, killed Him. And because of all that, what you're getting in these three verses is a synopsis of the history of Israel. God had a desire at all during this time to gather them like a chicken gathers her little ones. Because they pushed them off, verse 38 says your house is going to be left desolate, but look at verse 39. It will not be desolate forever. He says, for I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth or from this point until... You really do need to underline, put a square around the word until in your Bible. It, it gives beginning and ending points. When's the next time they're going to see Jesus? Did He say, you'll never see me again? Did He say, yes, your sin has been this bad and God is now divorcing you and you'll never see me again? He did not say that. It would, we now know today that it would be quite a while before they see Him. It still hasn't happened. But he says, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And that is an Old Testament prophecy for what they say when the Messiah comes to them. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. That last verse is saying that even though they rejected God, killed his prophets, stoned his people that he sent to them, they were going to be left desolate. And for nearly 2,000 years they were. But the story doesn't end there you will see Him at some point in the future. And it will be, what that verse is indicating is when they finally recognize He's the Messiah. When they say, Blessed is He that comes in the name of the Lord. That tells us something. It's hard to imagine in a lot of days we live in, in a lot of our lifetimes, that there will be a day when the nation of Israel calls Him the Messiah. Jesus is indicating that even right here. It will happen. Some days, it's nearly impossible to believe that. But things change. Let's go to Second Chronicles. Let's go to the Old Testament now. Second Chronicles chapter 36. We're not there yet, but I want you as we're going through this to be thinking the answer to this question. Where would you turn in your Bible? If you had to look for where God lays out the history of Israel in just a few verses, where does God tell us about everything, generally speaking, and sometimes specifically speaking, what God had planned for Israel? We're going to get there. Second Chronicles chapter 36. And we're now in the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at God discussing something where they had, we're now in the middle of their rebellion and, and their, their deviance turning from God. And of course we know that God didn't put up with it all the time. He sent Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, to surround them, capture them, pull them off the land and take them back to Babylon for how long? Got the Bible specific. It says 70 years. And it's because God had given them a commandment. Leave the land rest. They didn't. And He told them, you owe me 70. 
He was serious about it to the point that he took his people through an enemy, took them off the land for 70 years, took them to Babylon. We're going to, it's going to talk a little bit about this. Look at verse 15, 14. 2 Chronicles 36, 14. Moreover, all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. He's describing how bad they've been. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up quickly and sending because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But what did they do? Verse 16. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, misused his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. God is very long-suffering. But after many, many hundreds and hundreds of years of complete rejection, this verse tells us the wrath of God rose up and He removed them off the land. If you read the end of this to the end of the book of Second Chronicles, it tells us, look at verse 22. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished. So why is this Cyrus guy about ready to talk? Because Jeremiah prophesied it. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus the king that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me. He hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord his God be with him. And let him go up. Cyrus is the guy that eventually conquered Babylon. Babylon had taken the Jewish people off for 70 years, and at the end of that 70 years, Cyrus from the Persians come and conquers Babylon. Babylon has in their possession these Jewish exiles. Cyrus and the Persians are now in charge of them because they've just conquered Babylon. And Cyrus, this guy, God spoke through him. And he said, he's telling all the people here that he has in his province of Babylon, God told me to build a house in Judah. You guys can go back. Who is among the people here that would go back. This is a decree that's given. Now this is a lot of history. A lot of events that happened. But to understand what God did with His people, you have to have at least some background. Let's go to Daniel chapter 9 and now we'll slow down. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel spent almost his entire life in Babylon because he was a, a young... We. He, he must have been about a young teenage boy when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians took all those Jewish people into exile. So Dan, Daniel grew up in Babylon. That's what the whole book is, where it's written from. And in Daniel chapter 9, verse 20, it tells us that he was praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. Daniel's not just praying for himself. He's praying for the sin of his nation. And he's presenting his supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. And while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, Gabriel comes to talk to him. Let's stop for 20 seconds. What is Gabriel always associated with in the Bible? 
Gabriel was sent to Mary to tell her there's a sale on hamburger downtown. No. Gabriel had a message. His message was always about who? The Messiah. Gabriel comes to Mary and says, don't fear the thing that's just happened to you. You are now pregnant with the child of God, the Messiah. He's coming from you. Gabriel comes here to talk to Daniel and guess what? He has a similar message. Notice in verse 24. Um, let's look at verse 23. At the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment came forth, and I came to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. You're supposed to understand what comes next. Gabriel is talking. And he says in verse 24, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. Who are thy people? It's probably worth putting up here. The phrase, thy people, equals Daniel's people, Israel. And Gabriel is answering his prayer. And he says, 70 weeks are determined. Now, as Americans, when we hear the word weeks, we think seven days. Seven days, and it's so much so that we can't get the word day out of our mind. In this verse, it is not talking about days. It's talking about the number seven. In our language, we use the word decade sometimes. That deca, that's the word, the number ten, about years. Seventy weeks. What this means is that a week is a seven grouping. So he is talking about 70 times 7. He is saying that there are 490 years to do what? That are set aside upon thy holy city, that's Jerusalem, to do what? This is very important. What is Gabriel telling Daniel? There are 490 years that are set apart to Finish the transgression. Does that sound like maybe three-year-olds pulling each other's hair? Scratching someone's eye out. Transgression, you're breaking the law. And to make an end of sins. To make reconciliation for iniquity is not good in God's eyes. When He uses the word iniquity, it's almost to the point where He is pouring out His wrath and there is no remedy. Iniquity. And then to bring in everlasting righteousness. So, Daniel is saying that he is, that God has set aside 490 years to do what? All that language was talking about, just give me a synopsis. Forgiveness. He says to make an end of your sin, to finish the transgression. He is describing breaking the law, breaking the commandment, rebelling against God, and he said in 490 years we're going to end this stuff. It will not happen anymore. We are going to finish the transgression. We're going to make an end of reconciliation. It's a picture of God redeeming His people. Are you okay with that? I'm, I'm, I'm intentionally belaboring that because what we're talking about here, you have to associate that with this time period. This set-aside time period here is about ending the rebellion, the transgression of Israel. And God gets so specific, He gives them an exact date. 
70 weeks. Look at verse 25. He has just described the whole purpose. We're setting aside, we're getting rid of the sin of Israel. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build, we just read that. That Cyrus guy, he gave a commandment that you Jews can go back and rebuild. Daniel, the book we're reading, Daniel heard that. Cyrus was king over Babylon at the time. Gabriel is now telling him, when this commandment comes forth, start counting. And how many do you count? From the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem until the Messiah the Prince. In other words, until he gets here, it's going to be seven weeks, three score, and two weeks. Seven, three score, is 60. Gabriel just told us, if you add, if you can do a little addition, 7, 6, 6, 7, eight, that would be 69. Now, remember, the first thing he mentions is 70. There's 490 of these things. 69 times 7 is 483. You can see there's 70 of them here. There's 69 of them here. That's why there's a difference of 7. 490 to 483. One of them is 7 short. And in verse 25, he says that as soon as you hear that commandment, you can go back to Jerusalem. You start counting. Let your great, 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 great grandson be aware that 483 years from the time that happens, the Messiah, the Prince, will be here. And this is probably the most amazing prophecy, maybe the most amazing scripture in your Bible. God so nailed down when the Messiah had to be here. Do you realize why it's ridiculous for the Jews today to still be waiting for their Messiah? Ridiculous. Because according to God's own word, He had to come here a certain year. 483 years after you started going back to rebuild Jerusalem. And we know history. We know when this stuff took place. You go forward into your New Testament and it's when Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on that donkey. And all the people are shouting Hosanna to the King. It's the first time Jesus allowed Himself to be identified as the King of Israel. Not only did He allow it, what did He say? Pharisees said, listen, you better shut these people up that are telling you you're the king. Jesus' response was what? If they hold their peace, even the stones would cry out. I wish those disciples would have just been quiet. One minute. The prophecy had to come true. Even the rocks would have announced that the king is riding in because of this verse. And Gabriel gave it to Daniel in exile, in Babylon, all this time ahead of time. You ever wonder, well, maybe this is why the wise men knew that there was a king being born in Israel? They came from the east, where Babylon would be. They traveled. How would they know that there was some kid being born that was going to be king? Maybe Daniel left some messages for him. In any event... Jesus held them responsible for that. You remember? It's right then. He's going into Jerusalem. And that's when He says, you guys didn't recognize I'm here. And He pronounces that judgment. 
that they're going to surround Jerusalem, they're going to destroy it and kill every one of you. They didn't follow this prophecy. And God held them responsible. I've got to get off that. We're talking about the history of Israel. God is laying out the entire history of Israel up into Jesus' time and beyond. Keep a finger right there. Because I, I, I forgot to go to Matthew 18. We need to look at and hammer home this idea of what this entire prophecy is about, the 490 years. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? What are we talking about? Hamburger sales? No, we're talking about sin and forgiveness. Reconciliation. What's Jesus' response? You don't forgive just seven times. Seventy times, we all think he's just, he's just making it up a number to make it big so that we, because we could never sin against our wife or husband 490 times. He just made a big number. He did not. Everything in your Bible is there by design. Jesus, when he's talking about sin, forgiveness, sin, forgiveness, what number does he use? Seventy times seven, 490. Go back to Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, Gabriel is telling Daniel the entire history of Israel, we are going to end this transgression. We are going to end you guys rebelling. And how long is it going to take? The same number. 490 years for sin to be done away with. And Then he starts getting specific. In verse 25 he says that there's going to be 69 times 7 or 483 years from as soon as this guy gets up and says, you guys can go back and restore it. And you start counting. See, people have actually done this. It comes out to the day where Jesus goes into Jerusalem. The Bible is divine. So if there's 69 of them, what, what, what happens? I thought he said there was 490. Well, look at what he says in verse 26. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. The Jewish people should have been expecting what event to happen with the Messiah. His death. It says right there, he is going to die. What's the next word? But not for himself. You see, kings in ancient times, for one of them to die, they, they went down swinging. They didn't offer themselves as a sacrifice for other people, not even their subjects. Their subjects sacrifice for them. This idea that the Messiah is going to be cut off but not for himself, we, you and I now, on this side of the cross, we know what that means. Who did Jesus die for? Died for the sins of the world. Anybody that will believe in him, he died for their sins. That New Testament idea nugget is tucked right in there. He didn't die for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come, now, this tells us that someday there's going to be some prince coming. Not telling us a lot of information about it, but we know that the people that are of this guy, they are going to come and do what? Destroy the city and the sanctuary. What happened 
not too long after the Messiah was, as it says there, cut off or he died. What's another event that people should have been associating with the appearance of the Messiah? At some point, the city and the sanctuary are going to get destroyed, leveled. You and I, we we know that. 70 A.D. that happened. Daniel is talking about all of this. Now verse 27. And he, this is talking about that prince that was up there in the previous verse. It's the Antichrist. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Look at what Daniel did here. Gabriel, I should say. Gabriel introduced the idea that 490 years or 70 groups of seven years was set aside and this is, this is what I'm dealing with Israel. That's what he's telling Daniel. To make an end of sin, to put down this transgression and to bring in everlasting righteousness. It's going to take this amount of time. The next verse, he identifies how many of these? 69 of them. And he talks about the Messiah is going to show up. He's going to be cut off. He's going to die. The city and the sanctuary are going to be destroyed. Then you get to verse 27 and of course, the difference between 60 and 70 we know is 1. And what does verse 27 say? He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Gabriel broke down the history of this in intervals that we now looking back can clearly see. There was 70 total, 69 of them until he shows up. Until after the commandment, Jesus enters Jerusalem on that time exactly but we still have how many left over? There's that one seven-year period that is still out there. And can you see why it happened or why we are still waiting on it? The prophecy from Gabriel was after 69, the Messiah is going to show up. He did enter Jerusalem. He associates that with he's going to die, but not for himself. And the city and the sanctuary will be destroyed. See, that's all happened in Jesus' time. Gabriel, in giving this, keeps breaking it up into these sections. And we have this last section, the last week. The history of Israel. This is what we're waiting on. They have gone from 70 A.D. until this day. Even though Israel is still back there as a nation, there still hasn't been this, what it's talking about, this covenant that would be confirmed with them. Now, we, we glibly, in, in people, in prophecy teachers, they say things like, they're going to sign a seven-year peace treaty. We, we don't know that it's going to be a peace treaty. It doesn't say that. It says that it is a covenant. Might be a peace treaty, maybe. But he's whoever this guy is, he's going to confirm with the people, with Israel, he's going to confirm a covenant. But it says that in the middle of it, in the middle of the last seven years, see, from here that we had this big gap waiting for the 70th week, the very last one. And we're still waiting for it. It sure looks like we're getting dang close. That last verse tells us that if you have that last seven-year period, that right in the middle of it, three and a half years into it, something is going to happen where there is going to be an abomination. Now, in the Old Testament, the Bible always talked about idol worship as abomination. 
in Daniel, he says that the abomination that maketh desolate. That means the abomination is so bad that things get destroyed. That God makes it desolate. doesn't even allow people to live around there anymore in some instances. The abomination that makes desolate. Do you realize that when Jesus was here on the earth, He mentions this idea. Let's go to Matthew. Matthew 24. Matthew 24, look at verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. We should stop right there for a second. You know, there are people that call themselves Christians. That means you're a follower of Jesus. And they, they say that, well, they don't, they're not even sure who wrote the book of Daniel. Because there's so many accurate things in there. It couldn't have been that guy that lived 800 years before Jesus. There's no way. No way. Had to be somebody else. Who does Jesus say wrote the book of Daniel? See, if you say you're a follower of Jesus, you follow everything He says. There, he ends the discussion. He's also a prophet by Jesus' own words. Jesus knew the book of Daniel. His take on it was that guy was not only a prophet, he's saying that thing he wrote about, the abomination of desolation, when you see it, look out. He calls his people's attention to what? When you see that thing set up, flee and don't look back. Now, what possibly could that be? If an abomination is idol worship, what's the abomination that makes desolate? Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand where? In the holy place, where is that? You think, well, maybe it's anywhere in Israel, anywhere in Jerusalem, Judea. It's a very specific place, the holy of holies. Now, you want to talk about a piece of real estate that is secure, that is privileged, that has a small number of people allowed in there? The holy of holies. Only one person in all the nation of Israel could go in there. And he went in there once a year. And only after great ceremonial cleansing. He had to stand on his head, stand on his left ear, put two coins in a... He did so many things trying to get ready to go in there. It's ridiculous. And what's Jesus saying? That when you guys see this thing standing in there, and that, 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 to me, that, that's a clue. There's, there's something there. We're not allowed to go in there. Now, number one, it's not standing yet. That thing was destroyed in 70 A.D. hasn't been rebuilt. This kind of tells us if there is something standing in the holy place, they're very it sure sounds like they're going to have to rebuild this thing of some sort, whatever specifications turns out to be. If you can see in there that something is standing in there, and I take Jesus at His word, I think these things speak about some technology. Today, you, 
any one person can go in and we have these things we pull out of our pockets and we take pictures of our dessert and our sleeping cat. You can see anything. And everybody else in the world, they pull theirs out and instantaneously you can see it. This might even be on CNN, Fox News. In the holiest of holies, there's this abomination. There's an idol in there. See, God puts up sometimes with some idol worship, some transgressions, but what Jesus is saying here, when this one goes in there, and this idol is put in the holiest of holies, all over, the great tribulation starts. And that's when he goes on to say, Woe to them that are with child, that are nursing. It's hard to move around. Pray that your flight be not in the winter. In Judea, sometimes in the snow, it's, it's hard to make to get through to places. He's saying, don't turn around. Don't go grab clothes out of your closet if you're on the rooftop and you hear about it, you see it, get out. That's how fast destruction is coming when this happens. There's not going to be a lot of time given ahead that something bad has happened. As soon as that thing gets put in there, Jesus tells his followers, flee like crazy. Get out of Judea. Why? Because it's about to get bad. The God that controls the wrath, that controls as what Daniel, the whole thing was about, the cleansing of Israel. It's about to start. And this is why the 70th week, the very last one, what is it about? Is it about vacations in Rio? Really nice spas, waterfalls, fudge Sundays. The 70th week of Daniel is about vengeance, wrath, and cleansing. That's what Daniel 9, that's what Gabriel's message was, that God had set aside 490 of these years. And the very last group of seven, Daniel even says, when you see the abomination of desolation that's in there, it gets bad. You get all the way down to Jesus' time, and what does he point the reader back to? Go back, fellas, and read Daniel. And when he talks about that abomination that makes desolate, if you, when you see that in the Holy of Holies, get out. This is why people that read the Bible, like prophecy, the people we sit around and we talk about, well, are they building the temple? Do they? Do the Jews even have control over some spot where they want to put the temple? Quite honestly, I don't think anybody on planet Earth even knows exactly where the temple was. Jesus prophesied every single rock will be turned over. It will be destroyed completely. And I think by design, God had it that way. He doesn't want people sacrificing there. He hasn't anyway. When he finally is finishing what he's going to do with Israel, it seems like, obviously he allows this, but even then he, this stuff doesn't go on forever. We don't sacrifice animals in the temple anymore. We're never supposed to do that. Jesus is the remedy for our sin. But to make trans, uh, to make an end of iniquity with the nation of Israel, the Bible tells us he's got 490 of these years set aside. And we've seen now through history what this part looked like. When they were in Babylon, the commandment came down and said, you guys can go back. Even secular historians agree to these dates. 
You march off 483 years and that's when Jesus came. Nailing down when the Messiah would come. As Daniel said, he'd be cut off. But not for himself. He's dying for other people. And during that time, the city would be destroyed and the sanctuary would be destroyed. Check box. Check. Those happened. Then it tells us, Daniel 9.27, there's one more week left. Now, put all this together. Look at the gap that has existed since 70 A.D. and in Jesus' time up to now. Almost all of that. Almost all of that. Israel was an afterthought. It was gone. It was only on old maps. Biblical maps. It was gone. And now they're back. And we know that the 70th week, the, the last seven year span that God is going to deal with them, it has to be relatively close. He set aside this and this time is all about cleansing over there. This is why it will get so bad. He is going to, Bible language, put them through the fire. We saw this last time in Hosea where it said that the people, the Israelites, they're going to call on him when? In their affliction, in their distress. God is almost going to use the rest of the world as poking devices to finally force them back to him. They're going to realize, we, we, we have. where is God? Jesus, yes, you really were the Messiah. Please come back. This 70 weeks. And after that, then what happens with this nation of Israel that has lived through this, that has been cleansed, that the end of transgression has been made? What did Gabriel tell Mary when he came to visit her? He said, the thing that's inside of you is of God. He's going to be a sign for all the people. But he didn't stop with that. He said that this kid will sit on the throne of his father, David. We don't talk about this much in churches. That is the David, the Davidic covenant. Go back in the first, second Samuel in David's time. God made a promise to him that your seed will sit on your throne. It is mentioned all the time with Jesus that he will one day not sit on his Father's throne. That's in heaven. He will come here. And what that means is David's throne in Israel. God, or Jesus will rule the earth from Israel, from David's throne. It's a specific place. It will have to be rebuilt. It's basically David's palace. And that's the problem. It's, it's literal. If you take the Bible for what it says, and you don't try to allegorize it and just explain it away, Jesus is going to come back and the Bible tells us with a rod of iron He's going to rule the earth for a thousand years. He Once again, God will be dealing with the earth through, in a way, through the nation of Israel. He disappeared for almost 2,000 years. All the time, hanging out there in the balance in the future was what one thing that was left? The 70th week. That 70th week, we, we call it the tribulation. Jesus calls it the great tribulation, the second half of it. Some of that is, we looked at the, uh, the last time, Jesus described Jerusalem and he said that Jerusalem would be trodden down of the Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jewish people. 
Jerusalem would be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. See, God is, he wasn't dealing with Israel. They were gone. It wasn't even a nation to deal with. So for those 2,000 years after Jesus' time, he was dealing with Gentiles. He was dealing to the earth through Gentiles. And when the fullness of that is done, Jesus says that's when Jerusalem will no longer be trodden down of Gentiles. It means Gentiles will not be in control of it anymore. Just do a quick mental review in your lifetime who has controlled Jerusalem. It hasn't been that long ago and the Jews still don't have absolute control of it. But it is getting close. It would sure seem that the time of the Gentiles is drawing to a close. These are remarkable times in which we live. I apologize, you cannot do in one hour justice to the history of Israel. But in Daniel chapter 9, he does lay out in advance some excruciating, minute details of what would happen to them. And we're really waiting on just the last one, that last seven-year period. Let's leave it there. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for what is contained in Your Word. We pray, Lord, that You would make the, the prophecies, the technical verses in the Bible real to us. Help us to understand what You have for us. We pray, Lord, that You would go with each and every one of us throughout this week, that You would guard and protect us, keep us with all diligence. And Lord, we pray for Pastor, that You would prosper him, keep him, Give him wonderful meetings. In Jesus' name, amen.